Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Becker's Facilities. High pressure washing, facility maintenance, builders clean and commercial sanitization. They do it all. Check them out at beckersfacilities.com.au. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we are joined by Melbourne Tigers NBL legend, Warwick Giddy. Welcome to the podcast, Warwick. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good, Max. Just uh, trying to keep busy, mate, and uh, and occupied in these tough times. So can you tell me about your childhood and like, what sort of sports you played growing up? Yeah, look, I grew up in Wollongong, which is about an hour south of, uh, of Sydney, on the New South Wales south coast there, and uh, grew up in a town called Coldcliffe. It had about 200 people, but I was into surfing from a young age, uh, surf life saving, you know, grew up playing rugby league, a bit like Victorians uh, grow up playing AFL. So I played that all, all my life, all my junior life, and then sort of played basketball and, and a little bit of cricket. Uh, basketball was probably the last sport I got introduced to at about 13 years of age when I was in sixth class, and uh, ultimately that was the one that prevailed. When did you realise that you could make a career out of playing basketball? Uh, well, it probably wasn't only basketball. It was probably sport in general at a young age. Uh, you know, most kids are looking to become, you know, electricians or carpenters or plumbers back in my day. And, you know, one thing I always wanted to do was be a professional sportsman. And, uh, you know, we had a number of options, obviously, rugby league, uh, rugby union wasn't professional then. You know, there was cricket, there was money starting to come in surf life saving. And, you know, ultimately basketball was, was the one I thought was on the rise. So, um, you know, that was the one that I was lucky enough to go to the Institute of Sport when I finished year 12. And, um, you know, sort of made the Australian junior team and then, then went on to, to sort of carve out a, you know, 12-year, 14-year career in the NBL. How did you make your way to the Wollongong Hawks in um, 1987? And can you tell me about how they went about signing you? Yeah, look, I, I'd been, as I said, I'd been at the Institute in 1986 down there at Canberra and uh, Phil Smythe was one of our coaches then, the Australian uh, Boomers captain at the time. And, uh, he played for the Canberra um, Canberra Cannons. So I finished the year there and Dave Lindstrom was was the coach of the Hawks. So uh, obviously being a, a youngster from Wollongong, my, my ambition and goal was to play with the, with the home side. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get that opportunity and played two years there in 1987 and 1988. You, when you played in 1997 um, and 88, um, after that you moved uh, to Melbourne in 89, to play with the Tigers. How did that come about? Um, and what was it sort of like to know that you were coming um, into town to play with Andrew Gaze? Oh, look, Max, it was, it was daunting when, when I decided. I think I <laughs> I hadn't actually turned 21 and uh, I'd had a two-year contract with the, the Illawarra Hawks at that stage and I was in the first year of a two-year deal and uh, I had a bit of a falling out with the coach. Um, you know, I just didn't see eye to eye with him and unfortunately, I, I sort of had to go. So, um, I was very lucky to get picked up by the Melbourne Tigers. I sort of cut my, my ties and contract with, with Wollongong before I well, with Illawarra before I'd actually found a club. And uh, our import was a bloke called Gary Gaspard who uh, came down to Melbourne and he told Lindsay Gaze about me. And Lindsay decided to fly me down. I trained with them for about a week and then they decided to take me to America uh, in November that year. So I was really lucky. I, I got to go oh. Go to the states. Unfortunately, Andrew wasn't with us because it was 1989 when he was at Seton Hall, uh, just starting out his college career. So unfortunately, Andrew wasn't on that tour. But I had a great time meeting the players. And after that tour, Lindsay invited me to come down and, and play for the Tigers. And you know, I, I, they couldn't get rid of me at the end. <laughs> uh, what was your first season at the Tigers like 
on um, a social or um, cultural level compared to Wollongong? Oh, look, it was just, we came down to a big city. In, in, in those little towns, some people can, can get really, really offended by little things. Um, you know, maybe back in those days, tattoos, earrings, things like that. Not that I've got any tattoos, but um, <laughs> some of those things by the small town people where you come to the city and they're used to seeing all crazy sorts of people, religion, uh, different races, nothing really bothers them. And, and Lindsay was one of those extreme blokes that just, you know, it didn't matter whether you were pink or purple, white, black, fat, skinny, lazy, healthy, whatever you were, he, he would he would take you for what you were. And uh, there was no judgment on people. And, and I love that about Melbourne. So I, I came down, got lucky, got a role within the, in the team, uh, surrounded myself with superstars. Uh, the same year in 1989, Dave Simmons, the, the dad of Ben Simmons, he, he came down, signed a, a guy called David Colbert, another 6'8 American, uh, Ray Gordon came back to the club. So we were lucky if a few of the, the boys came into, into town all at the same time. And another guy, Brett Brown, joined the club, I think, a year later. And, uh, you know, it was amazing what, you know, where those journeys took us to over the next 14 years. What was that like to be um, at the same club as Brett Brown? Oh, look, it was amazing. We, we saw Brett come in as a, as a marketer, uh, as the sort of third assistant coach. Um, you know, he, he was a great guy. He was only a few years older than, than most of the players. He was 30. He could probably still play. Um, but he did train quite regularly with us. He, he was a little little rat of a guard in his college career. But uh, he was on the back end of a holiday uh, chasing a, a girl who was now his wife, Anna, and uh, chased her to Melbourne and uh, just happened to have left a message with the great Lindsay Gaze uh, for the Melbourne Tigers and, and came and, and really um, worked his way worked his way through everything from, from starting just doing promotions to becoming an assistant coach uh, to getting his own side with, with Paul Lee to coach the Melbourne Tigers Junior State teams and um, you know, obviously worked his way up over over 20 years to, to becoming an NBA coach and uh, you know, there was no harder worker than Brett but it was, it was an absolute honour, funny bloke. Uh, we used to talk about career opportunities, business ideas when we were young and had, had a couple of years together. So uh, <laughs> remember great times with Brett and, um, you know, I'm happy that he still remembers me. Over your first few years at Melbourne, you had and produced some uh, pretty consistent stat line for yourself, sometimes getting more rebounds or assists than points in games. Um, can you tell us about your game and how you feel um, when you start to get a sort of solid stat line? Yeah, look, it's funny because as a junior, I was a, a high scorer and a lot of kids are because we're probably a little bit more athletic and maybe out there more. When I scored as a junior, um, it was more through, you know, being one or two foot from the ring or if not dunking it. So come to senior senior teams, uh, I was I established a role within the team. I, I obviously had, was surrounded by a bunch of superstars and people that were, were far better offensively than me. So... Uh, it was probably a sacrifice I made. I would have, would have loved to have shot the ball. I would have loved to have been able to shoot the ball a lot better. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, I wasn't a great shooter and I tried to play to my strength. But, you know, it was just fun having the team success. success. And I tell kids, uh, you know, the main main thing today is, is you win as a team, you lose as a team. And if you can generate team success, I suppose it doesn't... Everyone's got a little piece in that team. and It doesn't matter how good or bad you are, you'll get that feeling of success as a team. And, uh, and that's what I loved about playing with the Tigers. In 1992, you had um, Leonard Copeland join the Tigers. What did you feel like he could add to the Tigers at the time, or did you feel that he could sort of help you benefit your game? Yeah, look, it was a funny story with Leonard. He came, uh, the first day he came, uh, Dean Vickerman, the, the current Melbourne United coach, who was one of our juniors and uh, one of our NBL players at the time, and uh, Dean absolutely tore him up the, his first session. Oh. And, 
And Lennart actually thought Dean was our starting point guard. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Dean didn't, didn't see a lot of time. Lindsay didn't put him on, but that didn't mean he couldn't play. And, uh, you know, it was great. Lennart, once he once he got into the groove of things, he, he was amazing. Uh, athletically, he was, he was one of the best in the league. Um, yeah, he was one of the, the purest shooters, I thought, around. Um, and, and one of the best imports maybe to ever have come out here. And uh, we loved his time. He was athletic. The famous alley-oop going uh, with Andrew, and he stole that off Dave Simmons. Uh, oh. It was Dave's play until, until Lennard got here. And uh, Lennard refused to run the dummy cut for Dave, so uh, it ended up being Lennard's thing. But I assure you it was Dave Simmons' play originally. <laughs> um, in 1993, you were a big part of that Tigers championship. What did this like first championship mean to yourself and the team and the club? Oh, it was amazing because Melbourne had, had perennially been on the on the bottom of the competition uh, up to 89 when we got there. That was the first year we made the finals. Um, you know, we, we had players coming in from outside that knew no better. You know, we were coming in uh, expecting to win, expecting to be up near the top. So to, to finally get there, we lost it in 92. Uh, shattering. It was so, we were so excited to get to the, the grand final that year. I think uh, winning or losing didn't matter. But clearly in 93, we, we were destined to win it. And, uh, we won none, most of our players. I think don't think anyone had ever won in Perth before. Playing even me playing with another club. Uh, Rob Simmons, the only player that, that joined us that had won in Perth uh, for Brisbane Bullets. But Andrew Gaze had never won there. Dave Simmons, our imports, Leonard Copeland, none of us had won there. So to be able to win it there was, was amazing. Uh, it was an amazing feeling for the club to be able to create that history and be, become the first ever Melbourne Tigers uh, NBL champions. Um, and, and coming back home to Melbourne after that Sunday game in Perth was uh, was just another emotional roller coaster. The amount of our fans that greeted us at Melbourne Airport, that they suspect five to ten thousand people there, and uh, you know it was just an emotional ride. The, the, the people there were, were phenomenal, and um, yeah, it was something that which that I'll cherish forever and never forget. What was that like to play in a championship with um, superstars and legends like Gazy, Copes, and um, Dave Simmons? Oh, amazing. You know, that, that's that's why I was able to have such a long career. I, I surrounded myself with, with superstars like those guys. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like um, on the building site, you know, tradies, tradies need a labourer. They need someone picking up the rubbish so they can keep operating and uh, clearing the way. And, and that's probably what I was. I was like a labourer on a building site, um, you know, around all these superstars. And, you know, I would have loved to have been the chippy or the the plumber, but um, unfortunately, we had the ones in, in Simmons and Copeland and, you know, Bradkey and Gay. So, you know, I was happy to take a back seat and, uh, you know, do their dirty work, so Four to speak. <laughs> Four years later in 97, you won another championship with the Tigers. Can you tell me about those sort of four years in between 93 and 97? Yeah, look, disappointing years. Uh, we, we had some great, we played some great basketball um, and maybe a lot of people rightfully or wrongfully say that we probably underachieved and should have won another championship. Uh, in 96, we, we obviously made the grand final and lost to the uh, South East Melbourne Magic and uh, both times that we lost to them, we, we won it the next year. So come to 97, we, were, we started off shocking and we were the raging favourites. We couldn't get our act together. Um, our import, new import that had come in to replace Dave Simmons, a bloke called Jarvis Lang, had knee injuries. And uh, unfortunately, he left us about, I think, 10 or 11 games in. And by chance and by luck, we Leonard Copeland stumbled across um, uh, Marcus Timmons. And I, I think Brett Brown had actually let him know that, that he was in town. And um, as the Tigers did, we sort of rang each other and we said to Lindsay, why don't we get this guy? He'd be good for the team. And uh, Marcus joined us and 
I think we, we went on a 16-game winning streak and uh, our winning streak lost when, or ended when we lost game two of the grand final. And uh, fortunately, we were going to get labelled as the greatest choking Australian sporting team in history. <laughs> um, we were able to bounce back, Max, and, and get to game three. So that was pretty satisfying just to get that second championship. But the years in between, we, we really felt we, we maybe have underachieved and, uh, by not winning the ultimate prize. Do you think you appreciated that 97 championship more than the 93 one? Yeah, absolutely. For me personally, uh, it, was, it was probably a better one because I started. I, I felt like I, I was a main part of the, of the five that, that sort of got the job done. And um, just to be able to say that you were in a, in a championship side and, and a starting member of that team, um, you know, it was something I'm really proud of. And, and, and it, I suppose it shows any aspiring youngster out there that you don't necessarily need to be a great scorer or this fantastic athlete. There's, there's jobs and there's uh, positions for everyone. So for all those kids out there that think um, a little bit of hustle, defence, you know, doing the, doing the one percenters doesn't work or doesn't add up, uh, I'm probably testament that it, that it really does. But having blokes like Gaze, Copeland, Bradkey, Simmons in his early years around me and Marcus Timmons certainly helped. Can you tell me about your relationship with um, Gaze and Copes? Yeah, look, great blokes. Uh, we used to play golf. We played a lot of golf together. Uh, you know, we still catch up occasionally. And, um, you know, obviously, Andrew being a Melbourne Tigers junior coach and his son being one age above my son, we, we, we coached a, a fair bit through the years, uh, through the last 10 years at Melbourne Tigers. But, um, you know, great guys. Um, just, just two of the nicest blokes you want to meet. Um, you know, fantastic players. Two of the, maybe the best NBL players that have played here, you know, arguably in the top 10 of all time. Andrew's arguably probably the greatest player I've, I've played with and uh, certainly both were in the wrong league. You know, I think they had the talent to play in the NBA. Um, unfortunately, something didn't quite uh, work out for them and, 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 you know, what they didn't have in the NBA, they clearly had fantastic careers here in the NBL. So uh, we Australians were definitely the recipients, I, I think, of the Americans' bad judgment. How does Gazy and Copes rank up against you at golf? Uh, yeah, look, they probably got me in my day. I, I had them both covered, but um, you know, they they, they both spent mis misspent uh, childhoods. Uh, they they don't do much work at the moment, so they've got a life of luxury, and they're both on that course <laughs> regular practice. And unlike the hard working bloke I am, where I've got to work <laughs> nine to five job and get out there, I just haven't got that that time for the luxuries that, that I suppose they've got time for. But I'm sure I'll take their money next time we play. <laughs> Towards the end of the career, you started you'd, um, started your own family. What was it like to sort of manage basketball and your family? Yeah, look, I only had to do it a couple of years back, so that, that was fortunate. Uh, but then I became a coach straight after my career ended. And, and obviously, uh, I quickly had four kids. I didn't have four kids. My, my wife at the time had four kids. And, um, yeah, that was pretty hectic. But it was great fun to be able to take them and, and bring them up through my lifestyle. And, being a full-time basketball coach and um, and having kids that I could take to basketball camps, I could take the train and I could put a ball in their hands. I knew where they were. Um, you know, I probably had the greatest lifestyle for those kids in a sense. And, and I think any sporting coach that has kids would, would know what I mean by being able to bring your kids up in that environment, um, a great safe environment, a healthy one and, and something that can, can teach them and, and be maybe a livelihood for them down the, down the future. What was that like to sort of coach your kids' team? Oh, that was that was great, and uh, you know I sort of rotate coaching the kids. I've I've lost the two oldest. Hannah's gone off to college, and, and Josh obviously over to to the Adelaide 36ers. But yeah. I've got uh, one that I missed out this year with the under 16s um, due to the COVID. So hopefully I'll pick her up in a couple of years in the 18s at Tigers. But um, 
I've got another one that's in the under-14s next year for the for the women's or for the girls there at the Melbourne Tigers, and I, I actually coached her in the under-12s two years ago. So um, whatever they're playing juniors, I'm definitely keen to coach them, and uh, you know, hopefully I can do that over the next few years again. In 2002, you retired from playing in the NBL. Why did you retire, and did you sort of have an outlook on life after basketball? Uh, look, I was probably pushed more than anything. I, I wasn't overly keen on retiring. I, I was happy to go around once, one more year, but, uh, you know, the club wasn't overly keen. So I accepted the umpire's decision, um, you know, reluctantly in a sense, and um, and then went straight into the coaching role as, as a second assistant to, to our West over there with uh, Lindsay Gay still being the head coach. So uh, it, was a, it was quite a bit of adjustment, but I was probably one of the fortunate ones that, that I still stayed in the environment. And... You'd find, Max, a lot of the athletes probably can't handle getting out of the environment and doing something completely different from, from nine to five. Um, you know, some maybe thrive on it and some don't. I was lucky that, that I was still involved in basketball. Um, I was still doing what I had done for the last sort of 15, 16 years, is turn up on those times, uh, go to the weight sessions, be there for on court. Uh, the biggest difference was I just didn't have to train. So... Uh, being a part of the coaching thing was was a great thing. I rolled into it fairly comfortably and fairly easily, I thought. Um, and as I said, I was probably one of the lucky ones that was able to stay in the industry uh, once my playing career had finished. Uh, just before you mentioned um, coaching your son, Josh, what was that like to sort of coach him and then see him grow and um, develop into a, a really good player who's now playing, um, just start, about to start in the NBA? Oh, look, that was really satisfying. I remember when, when they started at Wembley Primary School there in Yarraville uh, and they, they went to prep. We, we started a basketball team there with, with his mates and they were called the Wembley Wazers. And uh, and they were really my projects. It was the first teams I had to coach and um, and teach the skills of the game and, and a lot of things where, you, you know, in life and you, you'll understand this a little bit later, Max, when you get older, you think you've invented something only to realise someone else is already doing it. So uh, I, was, I was a little bit self-taught as a coach. Uh, what do I think? How would I teach this? And, um, you know, within sort of five, six years, when those kids got to sixth grade, we were the state schoolboys champions. Um, that was really satisfying, just taking all of Josh and his mates, and they were all great footballers, they were great uh, cricketers, they were, they were good at all sports. So um, being able to, to coach, coach him like that was, was really fulfilling. And, uh, you know, and then to have a, have a mate of mine, Phil, that, uh, that joined me with under-12s with the Melbourne Tigers, and... Um, every second year when Josh was top age, we, we would coach together. So from 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, we took him for the for the full eight-year journey. And every second year, I would, would coach with Andrew Gaze and, and his son, Mason. And, uh, you know, what, what, a, what a great journey it was just being able to, able to coach his son, teach him everything you know, teach him some structure, how the game works, uh, to become a great teammate and, and become a great team player. And, Really, the important thing was, you know, I think every every adult or every parent doesn't want their kids growing up to be the hog or the centre of attention in a sense. And um, just to be able to show him and all my kids for that sense, uh, team play and, and how to be a fair team player, I think that's the thing that gives you the most satisfaction. But uh, definitely a lot of fun being able to coach your own kids and, and especially at the elite level. I understand that you have a job at Melbourne United at the moment. Can you tell me about your job um, and what role you sort of play in the club? Yeah, look, at the, at the moment, um, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm at the coalface with the team, just doing a, a few workouts with the players. My full-time role there is this schools development and um, officer, where I get out to, to the schools and, uh, and junior clubs and, and run different clinics and help promote uh, Melbourne United and basketball in general, I suppose. But um, with the COVID and the schools shut down, I've been lucky enough to sort of join the team or the other three coaches. 
uh, you know, Dean Dickerman, Justin Shuler and, and Reese Carter at the moment on court with the players. So pre-season's just begun for those guys. So we, we're just working them out at the moment. But uh, I think once uh, school resumes, I'll, I'll probably be back out there uh, pounding the pavement again. What was that? What's it like at the moment to be on court with um, all the boys and especially like Dean Vickerman? Um, and the assistant coaches. Oh, yeah, look, it's, it's great. I, I've been out of the loop probably for the last sort of five or six years and uh, to come back in and, and just be able to work with those elite athletes is great. And, and just to watch the way they go about it, uh, Dean, how he treats his players and the other assistant coaches and their roles and, and what they do, it's, it's just great to get back on board with that. But uh, they're, they're fully professional. Um, you know, they've got all the modern day perks there to help them out. Um, they've got great backing from from their you know from the club and the administration, so um, it's it's probably good times as far as being able to work in a, in a really good environment. So it's been fun. Um, hopefully school stays shut and I can stay with them a little bit longer. Do you think like the sort of environment of basketball training and like um, like basketball, um, like how has it evolved since um, you stopped playing? Yeah, look, it, um, towards the end of my career, it probably became a little bit more professional where it was it was nine to five. Uh, at the start of my career, we, we could still hold down full-time jobs. And when I first came to Melbourne, I, I worked for uh, SIO, which has now become GIO, Government Insurance Agency, and, and worked in work cover for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, the game, is, it's just turned fully professional. Um, yeah, the old days, you, you did, you, a drink was a reward. These days, they, they realise that you need fluids uh, to perform better. Uh, so simple things like that, you know, your, your weight program is coordinated, you've got a certain amount of time on court, uh, recovery sessions, uh, coaches just aren't allowed to flog you. So from a technical from a technical point of view there, it's uh, it's a lot more monitored and controlled. And, uh, you know, there's great video analysis. Uh, you, you'll know about the opposition team, you know, every other player's uh, secrets, what they do when they go left or right, whether they can shoot, they can't. Um, so there's no secrets, there's no stone left unturned. So it's a fully professional industry where you, they probably get a few more things than, than we were able to get when we coached. And uh, you know, just having that support crew around them as well just makes it really, really professional. What would be your advice to any player trying to make like a pathway for themselves into the NBL or um, trying to make way for themselves into a pro sports club? Oh, look, hard work, listen to coaches, um, you know, work on all sorts of skills. You know, it's a, it's a shame you see so so many great players and great athletes that, that, uh, that just don't put the effort in, whether it's on court or, or off court. So, you know, always always that effort. is It's always something that you can do that someone else is not doing out there on court. Um, you know, you don't be too specific. You don't have to be a shooter or a defender or one or the other. Um, you, know, you can work in all parts of your game. So especially with, with young kids, we say chase your dream, you know, start Start low, work your way up the chain. Um, you know, no one went from, from under 13 or under 14 rep ball straight into the NBA. So there's stepping stones along the way. You can tick those things off. But, um, you know, follow your dreams. We tell all kids that uh, have a dream, have some goals, and, uh, and really they can be achieved. It's up to you if you want to achieve them and by how hard you work. Thanks, Warwick, for coming on the podcast. It's been absolutely an honour to have you on. Oh, it's been a pleasure coming on, Max, and uh, keep up the great work, mate. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. Please like this episode and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. This episode was brought to you by Becker's Facilities, your one-stop shop for facility maintenance services.